All right. Welcome. Welcome. Um, welcome. Uh, so we have a treat today in that uh, Lee is here to share with you guys. Does everybody know Lee? Second year student. And uh, Lee, it was really cool because uh, Lee and Theo, the Lord just spoke to him. And uh, last fall, and just abruptly, and said, told him not to go to Egypt, and uh, just stay, stay here and wait on him. And and then the whole thing with Haiti happened, and right before that happened, Theo's dad went down, and now Ted, who Ted was in the theology class last year, and and so he went down right before the earthquake, and and. Uh, uh, the school that his family had established there, Kaskaya, has become really a center of relief effort uh, down there. And Randy Bolander was talking to the Minister of Health for Haiti, and he said that Kaskaya Christian School is the the uh, largest, most effective relief effort in Haiti right now. And, uh, and so it's just totally the timing of the Lord and how the Lord worked that out. And if they had gone to to, uh, to the Middle East, then it would have, I mean, they would have just been on a plane right back if they hadn't listened to the Lord. And so, so Lee was down there for uh, a few weeks right after it happened and was uh, working real close with Ted and has a lot of really great stories. So I asked him to come and share because he came over to my house and he was describing the practical outworkings of Kingdom Now theology and just how it played out. Because Kingdom Now theology is uh, its fine in theory because whenever... It's fine in theory when it doesn't actually apply to real life because Platonic dualism is fine in theory it doesn't actually it's not actually real and so but when kingdom now when non-reality begins to play out in real life the implications of which are uh, intense and so when it actually starts to play out in prosperity gospel or shepherding movements or whatever then it's like whoa but in crisis you really get like the full manifestation of it (laughs) You know, and so, and so, uh, uh, Lee got to really experience the brunt of that manifestation, and so he was just sharing with that, and I'm just sitting there at the table going, "This is like gold flowing out of your mouth. You must come share." <laughs> so come on, man. <laughs> Weeks. Let me pray for you. Oh, glory. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> do you want a little, do you want the uh, the throne? You like the throne. All right, let me pray for you, man. So, Lord, we thank you for uh, your son and your servant, Lee. We ask you to bless him. We thank you for his heart, his meekness, that... You equipped him and uh, just gave him a a glimpse down in Haiti. Um, 
and clarity and understanding. We ask you this morning you would gift him with that same meekness, that same heart of love and truth and restraint, yet firmness to stand for the truth and and deliver us from lies and wickedness, the vain ambitions and deceits of men, Father. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come that you would speak through him in the name of Jesus. All right, well, thanks for letting me be here. I wanted to share with you guys. <clears throat> John asked me to share, and I was like, I would be delighted to, because I know most of you guys are going to end up uh, overseas in some shape, form, or fashion. And even if you don't <clears throat> end up overseas long term, you're still going to be ministering in the United States, and it's equally as important. Just ministering overseas just seems to be way more dynamics involved because you are the American going into another country and you're supposed to be there to serve the nationals, which typically what is not happens, doesn't happen. So I'm just going to write a few things on the board as we go uh, just to help etch it in your mind. Okay, so the first one I kind of want to hit is the master's way, all right, so as I'm sitting in Haiti, <clears throat> really having a, uh, quite the, the time learning how to lead multiple facets of people, uh, both Haitians at some level and both um, doctors and nurses who are well, as far as in the world's eyes are extremely more qualified than I am in anything. I mean, we're talking about orthopedic surgeons, neurologists, you know, neurosurgeons, anesthesiologists, these guys that, you know, back home, they're millionaires, you know, and I'm the point person that they talk to. So it's a little overwhelming at times because I'm looking at these guys and I'm like, <clears throat> on a hierarchy educational scale, they're through the roof and they're like, probably looking at me going, I'm like, you know, losing weight by the second, like <laughs> sweaty, nasty, I stink. And I'm this, you know, young 28-year-old kid that they're looking at and they're supposed to be asking me. And I'm supposed to know all the answers to all the questions that they're asking me. And so then you also had, I was, uh, I led a couple of uh, teams of CRY, Crisis Response International, down. And, and so, so basically, I'm dealing with multiple facets of people on different levels and all different types, you know, believers, non-believers. <clears throat> different theologies, different agendas, different mindsets. And so so when you pull back and look at all of that, it's trying to I was trying to have the benefit of the whole in mind the entire time. Okay? And so with with I put that in the forefront of my mind, Lord, how do I have the benefit of the whole? If you went going through John's government class, how do I have the benefit of the whole in my forefront of my mind with all these different facets of people? Okay? Which is pretty hard to do because we're not Jesus and he's the perfect governor. And so if it was my first real experience I've led in, 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 in many different facets. So it was my first experience in leading such different dynamics and such a different group of people that I actually had to have an understanding of somewhat of what's the benefit of the whole for the mass and not just cry and not just doctor nurses, not just Haitian people, but what how what benefits the whole? And then one of my roles was sitting in the. Give just a little context of the compact. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the compound um, is about a 10-acre walled facility uh, right in the middle of Port-au-Prince, well, south Port-au-Prince. And um, and in the earthquake, it got shook. The whole school ran outside in the middle of the soccer field, watched the walls like shake and shift literally like wave like this, concrete cinder block walls like do like this, you know, for about 30 seconds, not one crack in the structure on the entire property, nothing, not one brick out of place, nothing broken, but all around the 10-acre property, there's buildings down. And so, Lord completely spared this place for, I mean, obviously a greater purpose. And um, on this facility, at the time, there was about 365 students, you know, it's um, K through 12, and um, about 365 students, and then staff and then Haitian most you know Haitian mostly Haitian maintenance and employees and that type of thing and um, and then when the earthquake happened and it began to be set up as a crisis facility uh, what ended up happening is you had the US military looking all around Port-au-Prince for the best place to set up a long-term base because they were going to make they were basically going to say, yes, we're staying for a year somewhere in Haiti. So they're looking all around it, and it just comes where they see that the best best facility in Port-au-Prince that hasn't been destroyed, hasn't been broken, has a 10-foot wall around it, you know, very good security, elevated up a little bit up on the side of this hill, is Kiskea. So the military comes in, starts talking with Ted and the president of the school, and they decide, okay, can we sign a contract with you for a year to keep the military on this base? So the main headquarters of the army is on this base. But then you also have about 100, 120 different Haitian refugees on the base because all the maintenance men who worked on the facility or cooks or, <clears throat> or, or security guards who worked for Kiske on a normal basis, they don't have homes anymore. So they all brought their families to live on the base. And then you have, uh, you have Cry that showed up, and then you had medical doctors and nurses show up, and then you had uh, just, some other, you know, just some other general teams of people showing up in, in, in different levels of capacity. Um, <clears throat> and so, it went, so probably when I left, we were pretty much maxed out space-wise. Couldn't ha- the place couldn't handle anything else, and we were at not including the army. We're at about 360, 370 people on the base, and army probably would have made about four, 480, 490 somewhere in there. And so, nearly 500 people on this base, and school started back when I left. It's the first, the only school in Port-au-Prince that started back, and uh, and so, but only 65 students were able to come back. Um, out of the 300. And if the 300 showed up, the school wouldn't be able to handle it. And so, so only 65. So it's just, there's so many dynamics going on in this base that it's just <laughs> incredible. And then at the same time, you've got the U.S. military's presence on the base, which is, you know, it's a presence without a doubt, you know. And then you just got all these, you've got doctors and nurses and Haitians and Americans and, you know, Europeans and just Germans all over, you just got, there's just, I mean, it's like the United Nations kind of right there on this base, you know, it really was, and because um, the doctor's teams, they, they were, there was Korean doctor teams represent, and then, you know, there was 
and there was, you know, German doctor teams, Americans, you know, it was just a little bit of everything, and, uh, and then you had the Haitians, and um, you had... I just got in a conversation with somebody the other day, just randomly at my neighbor's house, he's caretaking for my neighbor, and he said, I just got back from Haiti, and I was like, oh, I'm going to Haiti in a few weeks. He's like, well, where are you going? And I started describing Cascade, and he goes, you're going to Cascade, and I was like, yeah. I was like, how'd you know? He's like, it's the only place to go. (laughs) I mean, once word got out that we were taking on people, literally, I had this um, incident command post cell phone, and and the text would literally just like, can we come? Can we come? Can we come? I mean, I mean, I have no idea who these people are, and it's just blitzing my blitzing the cell phone with, can we come? Can we come? I mean, literally, in like the couple days where. Ted was gone, Thea was gone, and Ted put me in charge of the whole base. At that point, when people were coming to me, yeah, I was like, yes, I get to turn people away. Because <laughs> we were just like, because basically, you know, we were doing all the logistics, and Ted was just like letting everybody come on. And I was like, ah! you know, because logistically, basically, I got the best experience possible that I could in 14 days of, of what it would be like running a large, crisis, sustainable community. I mean, I all of a sudden was thrust into, what do we do with all the sanitation? What do we do with the mad amount of garbage that we have piling up over the 10-foot wall? You know, what do we do now with food? How do we keep sustainable water? Our water system broke, so we set up another water. I mean, like, like all these things that you don't think about when we, when we idealize you know, community and like having a sustainable community and we're like, well, we'll just, we'll throw up some gardens and we'll throw up some cisterns and we'll dig a well and man, everybody's going to be, obviously everyone will love each other, you know, and, and, and everyone will be on the same page and there'll be no agendas and everything will be awesome when, you know, sustainable community is the way to go. And then you're on there and you got to deal with stuff like the toilet's clogged. And it's disgusting, and it's overflowing, and you're the guy that's got to take care of it, you know. Like, and you've got 500 people mad because all the toilets are backed up, you know. And or you just ran out of water today, and it's going to be a while before we get water. Or literally, one night it was about two o'clock in the morning, and a team was coming in from the airport, so I had to set my alarm, wake up, go get the driver to go pick up the team at the airport and I'm walking out and there's the Germans dude these guys are crazy they none of them would sleep in tents they're just like laying out like on like a sheet out on the ground like anywhere and I'm like every all the Americans are like you know they've got like they brought their like little AC units to put in their tent and like they've got mattress pads like this thick you know and the Germans are laying out on like a sheet I mean seriously I was like these guys are crazy man and they'd wake up in the morning you know they're like like these Vikings, dude. They'd wake up in the morning. There's these huge guys. They're like, I'm like, these guys are awesome. And they were all doctors and nurses. And uh, and so one night I'm walking out, and you know, literally, they have no mosquito nets, nothing, just like just laying out on the ground. So I'm like, golly. And I'm walking, and there's rats just running all along, like in between everybody, like because there's so much trash at that point. We had so much trash, and we didn't have a system in place to. I mean, Kiskeya had a trash system before crisis, but now you're like, it's going over the top, you know. And um, and so we quickly had to get that resolved. But one night I'm just walking out, and I'm seeing the rats everywhere, and I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I was like, man, these Germans are going to come up with like half a nose or something. Man. <laughs> I was like, it's not going to be good, man. 
So, I mean, it's just stuff like that. I mean, you don't think about it. You're going to have a rat problem. I mean, we there was a rat problem. I mean, like, crazy rat problem. And, um, and so, things like that, it just... So with all that, on a very practical scale, like life got really practical all of a sudden and got very unspiritualized all of a sudden. And theory no longer was a, there was no longer a place for theory. It was a place for solutions and practical implementation and what works best. And that was the bottom line. Because in a crisis, really, you can't, th- you can't throw out theory. And really, in a crisis, it boils down to, okay, outside of these walls, there's thousands of people dying every day. There's all these different people on the base that you need to have a mindset of. What's the benefit of the whole? Not just even them, but what's the benefit for all the people outside the base that we're trying to minister to and serve? And so, with that, it comes down to bottom lines kind of thing. What's the bottom line? What gets it done in the best way for the whole? Okay? And uh, obviously, there's not. And obviously, there was a, you know, a, a, a conglomerate of people making these decisions. But really, it boils down to, and if you do cry training or anything like that, it boils down to ch- chain of command. It really does. It boils down in a crisis situation. It boils down to there's a governor and there's little guy, little governors, and 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 each and everyone gets together and talks. You know, tries to decide what's the best for the whole. But really, at the end of the day. You submit in love to the governor who God's placed over it all, and you submit to him, and you trust it. And they're not going to make the perfect decision every single time, but you trust the Lord, that the Lord's placed that person in position. And that's the main thing I saw under attack, was trusting the Lord, and then trusting the leadership the Lord had put in place. And, uh, and when you have that is when you start becoming more of the problem than you are at help. And so, so this is kind of what I was telling John I, and as, as I really get going here. So, basically, science. Okay, think about science. Science is hypotheses and theories that are untested mostly. Really good theories, i.e. global warming. And uh, I, I just love how there's like, the government's been shut down for one week. In Washington, D.C., the government has not run in one week because of snow. I just really thought that was funny. So, I mean, so you got global warming, an untested theory that most of the science world doesn't agree upon, but you've got the people who have the money and the, and the power to push the agenda across. So you get global warming is this real issue. And it's all, in theory, it's all hypothesis. It's untested, but then you, uh, you actually start applying it, and the climatologist and, different, and, and the general science world, literally tens of thousands, disagree with it, and only a couple thousand say yes and amen to it. And so I started looking at I started looking at theology in a large way while I was there in 14 days. Uh, I started looking at it as a large way because what I saw is I was like, you have lots of theory being thrown out there, and you but it's untested. And this is a crisis situation that's testing everything. It's not only testing theory; it's testing your own heart. And so, um, so basically, I said, okay. This is going to be a great opportunity to see really what works, and uh, and so basically I said, okay, here's here's theology, it's it's a, it's science, and then you've got applied science, and applied science is when you take your theories and your hypothesis and you really test them, not just in the lab, but you get outside the lab and you really test them, and then you really see, okay, you know, MythBuster, that myth is busted or it really worked, okay, so. 
I'm going to be honest here. What I saw in Haiti was that the the practical outworking, now, and I'm talking about the end goal of Kingdom Now theology, taken outside of the test lab and put into put into real life situations, was myth busted. Okay, and the reason I'm the reason I'm telling you this is because I just wanted I just want to prepare you guys to see what ends up happening when you hold to it to such a deep level. Okay? That basically you end up instead of having the master's way, okay, or our king's way, instead of having his way, what ends up you can just erase that and put your way in there or your organization's way in there or you can put you can put what you think is the best benefit for you rather than what's the best benefit for the whole. And not by any means did I presume to think that I had the best benefit for the whole at all. What I merely did was submit a lot <laughs> to leadership that God had obviously put in place. And, um, and, and so what ends up happening is you can pretty much erase the master's way and you can put in your name's way, you can put in an organization's way. And, and what ends up happening is you come with a heart of everything falls to the everything falls to the side people and the benefit of the whole gets pushed to the side versus you submitting your heart to one another in love for the benefit of the whole and so you on the master's way you have the sermon on the mount okay so Jesus when he's giving the sermon on the mount is literally saying, this is how you are to live your life. And he goes into Matthew 5, and he starts talking about love, being perfect in love. The Father causes it to reign both on the righteous and the unrighteous. So be perfect in love as your Father in heaven is perfect in love. Then he, he blitzes the rest of Matthew 6. And then he gets into Matthew 7, and he starts talking about what kind of foundation are you on based on how you're responding to the master's way. I mean, Jesus is saying this is the master's way. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He's saying this is my way. Follow it. If you follow my way, then you build your house this way. Because if you follow my way, you make disciples after me. If you don't follow my way, you make disciples after yourself. And you are on, you are on the sand. And the storm comes. And you can't stand because you build it on yourself or your organization or your own theology rather than building it on me and my way. And so what ends up what ended up happening is <clears throat> I'm in a place of leadership, but I'm like maybe like on the I'm like maybe like three, four, five tiers down, even though I have, you know, a visible um large leadership position, I'm still three, four, five things down. So I'm still taking orders, you know, do 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 before it gets to me. And then it gets to me, and then it's my. Then I still need to decide. I'm a little governor, so I still need to decide. Okay, how do I apply this for? Because this is who I'm over. This is who I'm over, and this is who I'm over. These three sets of different things. Now, how does this work? Now, I've got to implement what I was told, so I'm going to implement it. But how do I do it where it benefits the whole and everyone's is somewhat appeased and willing to move forward in what what's what's what, what I'm being told that has to happen, and so. What I realized quickly is I started 
implementing these things, and the first thing I noticed was a, a large, a large amount of people's um, unwillingness to bend at all. So I was like, okay, why are they unwilling to bend? So then I pressed further, and so I did these little experiments where I'd be like, I'd be in the middle of, I'd be in the middle of talking, and I'd be like, okay, well, guys, honestly, this place is a mess. We have a rat problem. We can't have a rat problem. This is a, this is a, this says a lot about who we are by having wrappers everywhere, 500 bottles with this much water when people are outside the walls, dying of thirst, dehydrating, mothers. Milk is drying up. Kids are starving. You know, like we've got serious issues with water, and we've got these many bottles lying around with this much water in them, undrank, laying on the floor. Let's go right now. Clean them all up and drink all the water. And 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 I wanted to do it to test to see. I'm applying my science. I wanted to see where people's hearts were because it's serious issue. We didn't come from mission strip. We came from crisis, disaster relief, and to minister people. And there's people. Tens of thousands of people dying, literally saw it with my own eyes. Tens of thousands of people dying outside of the walls, and we're still being flippant with water. And we're still being flippant with food. Now, and so, and, and, that, and again, that's just typically, how, I mean, myself included, this is how we are typically raised in the States, is that we're very flippant with stuff. And so, so I just wanted to see where it, so immediately, you know, a majority of the people hop up and they're, you know, drinking water. Filtering it in their little water filters and, and you know you know picking up the trash and cleaning up and then there's like five or six people just sitting on the sidelines just refusing to get up. I was like, okay, good. There's there's that's now 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 that's good. That's what I wanted to see one you know one experiment, and so and so then you know and I only did this a few times to really to see really to see people's reactions because I'm trying to see why they do it. And then I wanted to, I, then I wanted to talk with them one on one and understand why they were reacting the way they were acting. And this, honestly, was what I got a majority of the time. Now, let me say this: one testament to IHOP is this. There are many testaments to IHOP, but one testament that I observed was this: is that most everyone from it was from IHOP who had been under teaching about Sermon on the Mount or servanthood or humility or meekness did respond excellently in that way. And I was very, very, very happy to have people from IHOP on the team who responded in that way. I was so thankful. made life so much easier. And they served well. But there was people who were from outside of IHOP, but connected with IHOP, in different places from the country. And honestly... What I ran up against in these people was a firm hold and grasp on different pillars of kingdom now, or just the whole thing in general. And several times, several, several, several times, what happened was people would come up to me and I'd say, okay, you know, let's talk. Why, why, why are you unwilling to pick up that box today? And not, I wasn't even practicing on them pick up the box. It was literally, we had shipments, I mean, 40-foot containers coming in of medical supplies, and it's all hands on deck, including myself. Everyone's moving these boxes, and that happened a lot. Our first, our, our objectives there as CRY was to set up the base camp, the first two teams. And that's what we were doing, and it was hard, hard work. There's no doubt about it. 
and those guys who worked worked their you know behinds off. It was really really hard, and uh, and now kind of the guys that are getting ready to come in are getting all the glory because you know they they just get to come in and go out and serve and minister and do all this stuff. But the first two teams that were there, they worked their tails off to get that base camp set up so that medical teams and cry teams and other relief teams can come in and go out. And um, and so it was a lot of hard work. And so so I'm asking, you know, wh- why were you unwilling to pick up that box? And they said, because God didn't call me to that. Okay, interesting. So why did God not call you to pick up that box today? Because that's not what God's been preparing me for. Okay, so why do you think God hasn't been preparing you to pick up a box? Because He's been preparing me to minister to the Haitian people. Okay, so... You think by being out these outside of these walls and serving the way that you want to serve is helping the Haitian people. But what if God called you to be here to pick up that box to serve the Haitian people in a greater capacity? Benefit of the whole versus the benefit of yourself. The master's way versus your way. Okay? So I'm asking these questions and... What the response, and I'm asking it just like I'm asking right now. So why did you not want to pick up the box? Because this. Why? Okay, well, help me understand. Okay, so you're saying that Jesus didn't sent you down here because you've been prepared for, this is literally several times, this is verbatim. I've been prepared for 15 years to minister to people not to pick up the box or wash dishes. I refuse to do it. I said, okay, good. Now tell me Help me understand why Jesus wouldn't want you to do that. Because he wouldn't send me down here to do that. Good. Now tell me why he wouldn't send you down here to do that. And immediately what starts rising is red faces and anger. I mean, such hostility towards me. I mean, just hostility. And so, and, and I'm, I'm literally seriously smiling most of the time. Because I'm like, this is crazy. You know, like, and I'm trying to be, I'm, I'm really trying to understand. And I'm really trying to be like, genuine and want to hear the person's heart but at the same time i'm smiling because i'm like these guys are getting so mad at me i don't even understand i'm just like asking questions and such hostility rises and so finally after about maybe 10 incidents with about 10 different people like that uh finally i come to the conclusion that the, the the basis of what there is is they're saying I'm here, this is basically the language, this is basically the language, I'm just going to paraphrase all the language for you, in a nutshell, what everyone is saying is, I'm here to bring the kingdom, God's prepared me to bring the kingdom, so how am I bringing the kingdom if I'm serving inside these walls, how does that benefit the whole when I should be out, I'm a chaplain, therefore I should be serving people's needs, they need me. I am a nurse. There's no way I should be in here washing dishes. People need me. I am a doctor. Well, we didn't have any doctors. I am a, I'm, I'm a, a physical therapist. People need me. Now, granted, people did need them. I'm sitting in the ICP meetings that they're not sitting in, and I'm listening to doctors and medical teams saying, I need phys- physical therapists. I need nurses. I need chaplains on my team. I'm hearing all this being said. Okay, so and again, it was my perfect picture of this. Honestly, when we like don't understand what Jesus is doing or leadership above us is doing and we kind of shake our fist at them or shake our fist at the Lord at some level in our heart or the, and with our reactions, 
typically we're not in, and myself included for sure, we're not in that council room. And not being in that council room, you don't know what's going on over here, over here, over here, over here, over here, that's causing the decision to be made for the benefit of the whole. So all you see is me, myself, my way, my agenda not getting touched upon or not being accomplished. And so, therefore, you hostility and anger and frustration, and if you choose not to serve and go humble, rises in your heart. And you think you know the best way when you're not in that council room. And if you're in that council room, you know that, hey, that's a really good idea. Your idea is not bad, but does it benefit the best for the whole? Because you're not the only person here. And so I tried to explain that as I started seeing that personally because I'm in this room. A lot of times I fly on the wall writing all the notes down for Ted and, and Cry and I'm listening to all these leaders from different ministers of health, owners of hospitals, you know, major doctors, leaders from the country, government representatives, I mean representatives, um, generals from the U.S. Army in this room all talking, all talking about what they think is the benefit, the best way to accomplish the best benefit for the whole, okay? And then I come outside of that room and then I get bombarded by people upset and angry over them not being able to do what they came to do. And so I quickly started realizing how if you, and again, the general language is I, I'm, I came to bring the kingdom and I'm not being able to bring the kingdom. So how I'm not serving Jesus. That was the general language. And so I started seeing that going, this thing's a mess. It really, this is, this is, this is science being applied in a, very difficult situation and a very, very uh, hard situation where the, the, the whole needs to be benefited, but people can't see the whole because the kingdom now at the deepest level causes you to abandon the benefit of the whole and go after what you feel is best. Honestly, it's what it does. Now, you can say, you can, you can say again, I'm just speaking from my experience. You can say... Uh, you can say that, hey, I'm here to serve the whole. I, I, you know, I, I, want, I want to work in unity with everyone. You can have all the language down because the language is down. You can have all the language down and then it gets tested and you have to abandon all that language because at the end of the day, your agenda and what you wanted to happen and your part of bringing the kingdom can't happen. If you want, if there's someone else that's above you in leadership, who's a higher governor, who think who thinks they have the right idea of benefit of the whole, and they are the leader, and they've obviously been placed there by God, then then at some level you have to submit. It doesn't mean that at some level that your you know agenda may, may not take place, and it may not that it might not totally not be God. I'm not saying that either, as far as what God has sent you there to do at some level. I'm saying that it's the unwillingness to submit on the front end when it's, a pl when, when it's tested. It's the unwillingness to submit on the front end because it's saying, I might not get to do what I came to do. And so therefore, I'd rather bounce. 
I literally had people tell me in my face, I'm not listening to what you're saying. I'm not going to do what you said, and I will leave I will leave if I have to right now, find my own transportation home, but I will go outside these walls, and I will minister, or I will be a nurse today, or I will be a medic today, because this is what God has sent me down here before. And I literally could not believe what I was hearing. Literally couldn't. And, that, and now, again, most of all these people are... They love Jesus. I'm not, I'm not questioning their love for Jesus. I'm qu- I'm, I literally am, am a questioning what happens based on teaching that you hold on to that, cause, that causes that type of reaction. And uh, again, it was, it, was pretty, it was pretty hardcore um, on the long term. And then, Again, I being being in some type of being in leadership, I basically was taking the brunt of it because I didn't want certain I didn't want a bad rap for certain people to come in to to happen to other people that are above me. So I'm trying to like it for on the front end. I'm like trying to buff it all. Finally, I can't buff it anymore because I'm like I'm tired of getting yelled at every time I come out of this room. Someone's yelling at me, literally. Someone's yelling at me because they're mad because you know they had to pick up one more box today. And, and just literally, I, I couldn't understand, and, and I couldn't understand the unwillingness to serve until I understand where people's hearts were and where their minds were. And, and I was literally told once that you're, you're questioning my servanthood. And I said, I'm not questioning your servanthood at all. I genuinely believe that you have a servant's heart. I really do. I think that you paid money to leave the United States and the comforts and not get paid this week for work to come down to Haiti to serve. Now, what you had was, and I just it helps to look at it. What you had was, what you had was this. You had expectations, and then what happened was. <laughs> that's the best way to put this. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'll write. So when you had when you had expect, when you had expect, you had expectations. And what happened was is that there was a higher there was a higher agenda that needed to take place because there was more people involved than you. And because of that, you've got to go low and serve. And if you go low and serve, Jesus said, if you go low and serve, and in due time I will exalt you. So I honestly, that was what I began to say. I was like, if you'll go low, Jesus will probably let you out and go be a nurse. Really? I really want you to get out. I'm sitting in that ICP room going, I've got three nurses on my team, a physical therapist, and a, and a couple of chaplains. I really need to get them out. Okay, can you guys pick up boxes for the next four hours? No, I refuse to. Okay, I'm not going to put you out there. But if they would have just served, of course I would have been like, please go out there. We've got our jobs done that we had to get done. Please go out there. But with the jobs being undone that we had to do on the base, I couldn't send people out. It was that simple. But yet, what was being thrown in my face was theology. Theology was being thrown in my face of, Jesus sent me down here. I'm here to bring the kingdom. I can't, you can't stop me from bringing the kingdom. I will literally stop being on this team right now and find my own transportation. And this is not one person. This is multiple amounts of people. And close to ten people who said something like this. And said, you know, I, 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 will, do, I will do what I want to do. And... It just left my hands so tied. I didn't even know how to respond, you know. Except for I was learning a lot, 
And I'm like journaling like crazy, you know, and going, this is crazy. I cannot believe people actually respond this way. And, and honestly, guys, it really, Luke 22, I just wanted to read an excerpt from there. Verse 24, then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles dominate them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it, not must, it must not be like that with you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I, key, very key, but I, Jesus... I'm among you as the one who serves. Okay? The master's way is servanthood. The master's way is he got down at a table, took off his robes, girded himself, washed his disciples' feet, and said, Learn from me. This is how you serve. This is leadership. That you would take, you would lay down everything. You lay down the rabbi. The rabbi authority, the teacher authority, the you are the son of God, where can we go? You have the words of life. You lay all that down and you wash someone's feet. And he said, now all you guys, I want you to do this the same way when you lead. Okay? So I'm sitting at this one day I had a rest after about 12 days. I had a day of rest. I'm sitting out, I'm sitting out and I'm like, Jesus, how in the world do you lead? How in the world? I don't understand. I was like, this is going to be, I, this, this is going to be a large part of my life in, these, in, in this kind of thing. I know that crisis is coming. This is the second crisis that I've been a part of in less than two years, Myanmar and this one and in Haiti. And I'm like, okay, obviously this is something that I'm going to be, my wife is going to be a part of, my family is going to be a part of. How do you lead in the midst of this? This is hard. This is crazy. And I was like, how do you do this? And this is what I honestly felt like Jesus said. He said, I showed you how to lead through the Gospels. And I was like, okay, give me more. And so some of these scriptures that I just like right this started coming up, the Luke 22s, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, just, and then, the, then one of the main ones that came, came and then the, the main one that came to me was the one I just shared with you about, you know, when Jesus is serving at the Passover when he takes off his clothes and serves and washes the feet. And then, and then I'm sitting there and then Jesus says, this as what I didn't do. I never pulled my trump card. And I was like, okay, trump card. Philippians 2. Trump card. Whoa, trump card. I mean, I started sitting there thinking, I was like, Jesus, the one who spoke, spoke it into existence, wisdom, who created the heavens and the earth, that guy who left all his glory, came down to earth, never picked it up again. Never. Never picked it up. If anybody has said, God has called me for such a time as this, or I'm not picking up a box today because I'm the king of glory, and I've got angels all around right now that you can't see, that I can see, they all have swords and are really mad about the way I'm getting treated right now. All the, I mean, like, literally, like, never picks up his trump card. Never. And goes so much to makes people angry about the way he's choosing to serve. Angry. Hostility rises in their heart. Why? Because the Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the general people want a kingdom now. Liberate me from the Romans. I want liberation. Bring the kingdom, Jesus. And he's saying, I will not pick up my trump card because I can't trust men. 
I know what's in your heart. And I know what my father's saying. And my father says that I've come to be a witness to liberate man so that they could be witnesses so that I could come back and bring my kingdom when I come back. And so he never picks up his trump card. Not once. And so he goes to the ultimate the, the two ultimate examples is one, washing the people's feet. The other example is literally going to the cross. These are two ultimate examples of laying your life down. When if anybody could have picked up a trump card, it's the king of glory. It's the guy who spoke existence in. It's he's sons of Adam are killing the guy, the creator. And so I'm I'm sitting there out at the beach house, like writing my hands like about to break because I'm writing as fast as I can, going, This is this is incredible. This is it. Like, if you want to lead, serve. The master's way is servanthood. The master's way is laying down your life and serving the whole. Because if you get into a position where you get to, guys, be in an ICP room or whatever that room is of that is where the benefit of the whole is being decided by multiple people, then choose to serve. Choose to be who's the greatest among you, then serve. And, and if you serve in due time, if you humble yourself in due time, God will exalt you. And that exaltation's probably aged to come. But, you know, like, humble yourself, lay down your life, wash people's feet, people will get angry at you. Let me tell you, people will be angry at you because you choose to wash somebody's feet. Angry. Angry. I honestly, what I tried to do is I said, what's the hardest place that I can get into when we have to move boxes? The truck. In the back of the truck. Where it's, it's 90 something degrees outside and you're in a box truck. I was like, okay, the best way to serve is for me to get in that box truck where it's nasty hot and lift box after box after box after box and give it to somebody. That's the hardest place to be. That's where I need to be. Not because I was prideful, but because I'm like, what's the way to show everyone else that I really want to serve? And if I can lead by example in servanthood, they'll want to serve. Or at least they should be provoked to serve. You know. And so, honestly, it, and, but people were angry. Angry. Hostility in their hearts. And you say, well, that might just have been a, uh, uh, just Lee, that was just a personal character problem. I'm telling you, what was the barrage that came upon me was theology, not character issues. The barrage was you are inhibiting me from bringing the kingdom and fulfilling my destiny. That was the other one I heard. You are bring you are you are stopping me from fulfilling my destiny. I can you please help me understand? Just help me understand. I know you had this, but now you're here and things are different. It's just like when you think. You know what? Marriage is going to be amazing. I've got all kinds of expectations. And marriage is amazing. But then you get over here, and it's a whole lot different than those expectations. It's a different amazing. Okay? Because <laughs> this expectation up here was all selfish. And then you get down here, and it's a whole lot different. And then you think, kids will be awesome. And they are awesome. And you had expectations. And then you had kids. And you wake up this morning and you have little people problem. And then you show up late this morning because you had little people problems. Okay? And so, like, it really is, it boil, guys, it really does boil down to that it, it, you have all these expectations and untested theory. And then that theory gets placed into the furnace. And the furnace tests it. And when it gets tested... 
you either have to come out with such a resolve that I don't care what the furnace said, or you bend and you let it melt you and mold you and you start following his way rather than your own darn agenda. Really. And that and, and, and it's it was really, really, really awesome and really, really, really difficult. And I thanked Jesus a hundred times that I went through it. And at the because I was like, there's no way I would have been able to have such a resolve in my heart that this is not that this thing can potentially be detrimental if you're unwilling to bend one body. Does your calling serve yourself? Yes or no? Okay. Does your calling even serve your organization? Test it. Come on. <laughs> no. Does your calling serve your church? No. One body. One head, the benefit of the whole. There were Germans, Amer- there were German believers, there were American believers, there were Haitian believers. Let's take our way and make everyone else worship the way we do. No. Let's take the German way and make everything they do our way. No. Let's find common denominator, Jesus, and Sermon on the Mount, and let's all do that. And even if everyone else is unwilling to do it, let's still do it. Let's still do the Sermon on the Mount. And let's still love one another. Do our best to diligently keep unity that binds us together. Okay? And so, and so, um, so again, so then he says, your calling, your calling serves the whole. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. And then hop down to 11 and 12, and I know we know this. But it says, verse 11, And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Jesus until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, this is my question. How can you have... This is, my, this is my little picture that Jesus gave me. And, and I'm not a very good artist, so... Uh, okay, this is a boat. <laughs> okay? And so... <laughs> so let's... Uh, so you have this boat, okay? And then let's just say, for the sake of me not drawing a hundred times, um, let's say all these represent boats, okay? Okay. These are boats, Okay? This is a boat. Okay? Now, are all these boats are all these boats connected? No, they're not all connected. Are they all in the same vicinity? Yes. Now, do they look like there's order, organization, and unity in these ships? Yes. Okay. Now again, are all these things connected? No. Now, but they're all in the same vicinity, so they're cer- it would seem like a fleet, although they're all different boats, and they might all have different functions, serve one purpose in a fleet, correct? Okay, now who's this guy? This is little by-myself guy over here, okay? And little by-myself guy over here, not with the fleet. And when you're not with the fleet, you're unwilling to work at the same goal that the fleet wants to work at. Now, they have one objective, and that fleet is to, let's say it's really a war, and it's one fleet, they have one objective, and it's to, let's say, you know, annihilate the enemy, okay? Okay? 
just like I think I spelled it wrong. There's an H in there somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, whatever. And uh, and so you've got one fleet, one objective, and then it's to annihilate the enemy. And so they, although they're not connected, they all have a they have a com- common goal, and they all have a purpose, but a different function within to reach that goal. But this little guy out here says, "I can do it better. I don't need to be with you. I can serve my own self, my own purposes, and I can try to reach that same goal by myself, and he'll get destroyed." And what the Lord was showing me is that if you end up holding to such a depth in the kingdom now theology, if you hold to such a depth in it, and that what ends up happening is you cannot come into this fleet. The reason you can't come into the fleet because it's the end of the day, at the end of the day, you have to abandon you have to abandon what you think your purpose, calling, and destiny is for you or your organization or your church. And you're unwilling to get into the fleet's objective, which is a common purpose, one body, a whole, even though you have different functions to reach it. You're unwilling to get in there because you might not be able to do what you wanted to do. Yeah. So, you probably can draw better. No, so this is beautiful because, like, I mean, I know Ted, and Ted Steinhauer, he really, he doesn't bend to the agenda of any man, and, and like, and the way he described it, he he was very modest about the intensity of the situation, and what happened was, you know, twenty different teams came in, all with their own different agenda, like trains, and they all hit the same wall called TED, and and but but wisdom's proven right by her children as the testimony of the Minister of Health, that it is the most effective, powerful relief uh, uh, work in Haiti because Ted really is driven by love. There is nothing false in that man. And his goal, his agenda in the situation is to love and serve the Haitian people because he grew up there. He knows all the dynamics of all the missionaries, the history of colonialism, the history, I mean, it's... 100% 100% Christian nation, 100% voodoo, all the spiritual dynamics, etc. And he really does know better than anyone how to walk the thing out. And his agenda, the fleet there, is to love and serve the Haitian people. And then you have all these lone guys driven by kingdom now, me, myself, and I, internationalministries.com come in. And they, they really, when it comes down to the end of it, they don't care about the Haitian people. They don't. They, want, they have a ministry agenda that they want to prove something in the situation, and they all meet the same wall called the love of TED for the Haitian people. And it's, I just, I love it when love wins, you know, because it really is, I mean, like, like Lee was saying, if Jesus pulled his trump card with the 72,000 angels, 12 legions, you know, rough, whatever. If he really did pull the trump card and execute his wrath the way the Pharisees did, the way they won, because the Pharisees were, all, were like all unregenerate men after Adam. They want to dominate the earth and conform the earth to themselves to draw disciples and and dominate the earth 
because of their own pride and wickedness, that all men should be like me to a T. And so if, if Jesus had used his power the way they wanted him to use his power, they would have, the Pharisees all would have jumped on board. Because they would have said, he's going to establish the kingdom, and I'm going to establish the kingdom with him. He's going to dominate all men the way I'm going to dominate all men. They would have totally given themselves to Jesus. The reason they hated Jesus was because he exposed that they weren't ruling over the people for the, good, for the well-being of the people. That they were ruling over the people for their own wicked desires and passions to dominate men to establish themselves for their own honor and glory. You think this is a small thing. It's not a small thing. Jesus came to disciple men in love to bring them to repentance so that they wouldn't get thrown into a lake of fire. You know what I mean? Because he's going to establish a kingdom of people who really do love and serve each other. And so this really is like I see today as if you will like take to heart what Lee has said, and take to heart a theology of a coming kingdom of righteousness and love to drive you in a practice and lifestyle of serving one another and love and laying down your own agendas and dreams and vainglory, etc. It's the best training you can get for when you go to Haiti in a few weeks. That you just go and you trust that men and women over you who have much, 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 much more knowledge of the situation and really are driven by love for the people. If they ask you to stay behind and do dishes or clean up or whatever, then you just submit and and love people. And if they ask you to go out and pray for people and work with people, then you submit and you do everything in love for people and in love for Jesus to to witness to him and, and the gospel. Anyway, so it's been an hour, so let's go ahead and take a, a, a short break, and then we'll come back in. Do you have anything else that was just burning on your heart? No, my, my only thing was, if you guys read Matthew 20, where the, the, the mother comes up to Jesus and says, you know, can you let, let my two sons sit, you know, at your right hand and left hand, it, because they assume he's about to establish his kingdom right now, and so they want position and power in order to be able to also help establish that kingdom and he says it's not up to me it's up to my father and then a couple chapters later what he go ahead and then a couple chapters later what he does is they come in they say they're still all stirred up about how jesus just told them you can't sit on my right or left hand that's my father's so then matthew 24 at the beginning of it what you have is them saying okay we're still interested in when are you going to establish this kingdom and he goes come with me let me talk with you and he gives them, Matthew 24, the breakdown of the establishing of the kingdom that doesn't happen until he comes back. And then again, a few chapters later, he goes, but I tell you, watch, pray, make disciples. And so he starts in Matthew 20 and goes all the way to the end of saying, it's not up, don't, don't get into a place where you want to establish yourself, serve, watch, pray, make disciples. The kingdom's going to come back with me not you establish it now. And just read like Matthew 20 to Matthew 28. Just kind of, I mean, you know, skip like the crucifixion part and that, but just look at as far as like, I mean, in the sense of like, watch the dynamics of what he's doing, the, what he's laying out for them to when he gets to Matthew 28 and he's, res, he's resurrected and he tells him about to leave you, 
You know what to do. I've told you, this is how you should serve. This is how you should lead. The kingdom's not about to be established. And this is how you be witnesses and make disciples until I come back. And he just lays it all out. And so I just encourage you to read that. Have that in your heart. And then go into an intense situation like Haiti or anywhere else that you're going to go and serve. Because this is the other thing, is that what ends up happening is that you, this is what I saw happen in that room multiple amounts of times from all kinds of different peoples. What ends up happening is they're not really there to serve the well-being of the Haitian people because they assume the Haitian people are ignorant. They assume that they're stupid. They assume that they're helpless and that they're hopeless and that they need the great white hype to help them. And it is disgusting. It's literally disgusting. And so to keep us from getting into that place, if you're going to be doing, if you're going to be serving uh, in any kind of capacity, in leadership or as a missionary, whatever, in different parts of the earth, or even this country, or different parts of the earth, then please, and I know we say we don't have that attitude, but when you hold to your agenda, people take the curve. And you still, you think you, you, you push in what you think is the best versus listening to a Haitian pastor say, well, I've been ministering here for 40 years. I think I know how these guys how to worship. Trust me, I've got a better way. I've got a more anointed way to worship than you do, Haitian pastor who's ministered here for 40 years. I know you might think you know what's best, but you really don't because I just came up with this in the lab room and I'm here to test it. And it just, it's really gross. It really is, guys. And so I just submit that to you as the last thing. It's like, keep your hearts tender that you're here to serve and people and, and people who are nationals really do know the people better than you do. They really do. They just really do. <laughs> just point blank, you know. And that you can trust Jesus in them. If you love Jesus and you love one another, then you can trust Jesus in that person over you, even if they make mistakes. You can still trust Jesus in that person over you. That Jesus is the perfect shepherd, and he cares way more than you and I ever could. You can trust Jesus in that person if they're there to make disciples of Jesus. If they're there to make disciples of themselves, you treat them like Jesus did the Pharisees. I mean, that's just, that, that's how it, I mean, that's the dividing line. Who are they there to get people to follow? And if they're there to get people to follow Jesus, they have jacked up theology, they, they're, they, have, they make a ton of mistakes, you can still submit to them and lay your life down to them because in the end, Jesus will honor them. And the guy who is super anointed, gifted, honored, etc., and is there to draw disciples after himself in the end, even though he may have, may have the marks of an apostle, the marks of a prophet, he's still a wolf in sheep's clothing there to devour the sheep, and he will be thrown into a lake of fire. And so it, I mean, it, it really is the inner workings of a man's heart expressed in how he treats people that you judge by the fruit, like in Matthew 7. Uh-huh. Ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Like the prof- I mean, that's all you're saying. Don't go and think to yourself in your agenda that Christ Jesus, the Lord, and the way that you do it is by making yourself servants of men for the sake of Christ. Yeah.
All right. Um, let's take uh, a couple-minute break, and then let's dive right back into uh, session four.